This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Activist theology is built on the power of story, and we believe story can change the world. We also know that being in community with one another on this journey will help to build a movement committed to collective liberation and a more loving world. We have a commitment to the ethics and politics of Encajunto, or togetherness, and we are together in this work with you. Hi, folks. This is Dr. Robin. Hi, y'all. This is Reverend Anna Galladay, and we are your hosts for the Activist Theology Podcast. It's time for us to get our hands dirty. We're ready. Are you? Pastor. Dr. Robin, or Dr. Daddy, as you're calling yourself today. Yeah, I got to change my name because you haven't taken that privilege away from me. So I wanted to be Dr. <gasps> Daddy today. Oh, I don't want to. I don't want to take privileges away from you. <laughs> I'm just playing. How are you? How are you? It's Monday and we're just getting our week started. And yeah, I'm pretty good. I'm pretty good. I am um, feeling some fatigue. Uh, I had a kind of a rough weekend with my gorgeous unicorn of a puppy. Mm. Um, but otherwise, I'm good. Uh, it, it, you know, oddly enough, it was supposed to rain all day today here. Oh. And it was dark and pouring down rain until around nine o'clock this morning. And all of a sudden, the skies have opened up and they're blue and they're full of puffy clouds and the sun is beaming in. Um, and I'm hoping that it's a bit of a, a foretelling for how my how my week will go. It, yeah, it was supposed to be rainy and gloomy, and yet the sun is shining. So I'm looking at it as a as a as some hopeful uh, some hopeful signage for, yeah. for my week. The uh, the sun is out here too, and things are melting. Um, it, it the sun was out yesterday, but um, it was a rough week last week here. Yeah, you guys got a lot of snow, a lot of ice. We missed all of it. And I think I might have sent you three or four different I'm jealous texts mm -hmm. over the course of the week. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But the weather, but the weather was really um, a thing last week. Yeah, yeah. The weather was a thing across the board. Um, we're going to talk a little bit about, well, a lot about Texas today. Um but, you know, there's so much else going on in the world as well. We, um, you know, are watching the uh, unlikely or probably likely for those that know him um, tarnishing of the mayor of, or of the governor of New York. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, Cuomo uh, put himself on the map with a lot of especially a lot of folks in the U S during COVID and his right. daily press conferences. And, 
Uh, a lot of his skeletons are coming out of the closet right now, which is uh, interesting and yet unsurprising to watch. You know, politicians are politicians. Right. And I don't care who you are or how good you are um, or how uh, what your ethic is. There, there are ways that if you are a politician, you are still beholden to something. Mm-hmm. And his uh, attitude and his ability to blow up at people is really becoming quite the quite the story right now, which um, has been interesting to watch. Um, my little girl uh, has had a very upset tummy for mm. the, the last three days, uh, which also means three nights. And whereas this uh, dog of mine literally will go to bed when I go to bed and not wake up and not get up until I get up. Uh, she has been waking us up several times throughout the night oh. to go to the bathroom. And it has really, really fucked with my sleep schedule. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I am, I, I have tried really hard to not be upset with her because I know she can't help it. But there are times at three in the morning when I'm like, Oh my God, Ruthie, <laughs> yeah. can, can you, can you just hold it? <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so that's been that's been what's going on here. Anything yeah. else happening in your world? Well, I, you know, um, I was very concerned about the conditions last week, and I have family in Texas and a bunch of colleagues yeah. and friends in Texas, and so you know, as soon as I heard um, about the rolling brownouts, you know, it just um, you know, that's, that is home place for me in many, right. many respects. And so I just sort of lived last week with a bunch of fear and anxiety and, you know, and also working with the unhomed population in Nashville, the conditions were very bad here with lots of ice and, you know, being in conversation with the folks at Open Table Nashville, you know, many of them couldn't get to the the campsites because right. of the roads were so icy so i just sort of um i felt like i held my breath a lot last week and yeah. and and i know that we're going to get more into sort of the complexities of everything but you know i just I just sort of am coming into this week with um grateful that Nashville is going to be in the fifties for much of the, much of the week, you know, and also, um, you know, it just reminds me, we, we don't have a good track record as a human community of treating our planet well. Right. And so I just am thinking a lot about the systemic issues and the overlaying issues and, um, you know, how do we make helpful, generative um, interventions, you know, so. Yeah, I'm with you. This is a good time for us to dive into some chatting about Texas and how we got to where we are. And um, so let's get started. Let's do it. So friends, as many of you know, last week, Texas was hit with a storm that crippled and paralyzed much of their infrastructure. 
it took down their power grid. It uh, limited the safety of their water systems. It caused um, as many as 70 folks to perish, some of which were children. And we didn't get here by accident. We didn't get here because of anything other than um, both a conscientious and an unconscious uh, desire to put money and capital and policy ahead of the lives of people. Equipment froze at power plants in Texas and natural gas wells iced over. This limited the fuel supply to millions of households. I mean, no power source in Texas was immune. They, The coal industry, the natural gas industry, crude, wind, solar, every source dipped as these frozen um, temperatures plunged into the state and the grid simply couldn't handle it. But what happened as a result of that is that as many as 13 million people were at a place where they didn't have drinkable tap water. They mm. couldn't flush their toilets. They couldn't uh, drink to sustain life. They couldn't take showers. They couldn't um, feed their pets and they couldn't um, give water to their children. Um to say that Texas was unprepared is an understatement. Um, what's interesting to note is that in 2011, this a very similar thing happened in Texas. Um, Texans were faced with what they said then was a once in a lifetime ice storm that you know, took down much of their power grid. It, it knocked out power to 3.2 million people in Texas. And the legislature was faced with questions that they are now going to be faced with again uh, 10 years ago. 10 years they have had to save millions of people from what happened this past week. And in another effort of partisanship and a desire to make as much money as possible, lawmakers and regulators cut corners so that they could lure new manufacturing, new chemical plants, new enterprises to Texas, attracting them with no income tax and with a what they consider to be cheap power um, supply. A lot of industries are interested in going and moving to states where not only can they get tax breaks, but where their cost of doing business is less. And Texas did all of this. Texas was complicit in all of this. Um, but as we look at the what has what has taken place here, Climate change is not going to be on the side of any of us, including Texas. And the fact that the Arctic is warming and the temperatures are rising faster than anywhere else on the planet here in the U.S., um, 
we continue to weaken the jet stream, which is which typically keeps cold air in the northern hemisphere. And this weakened jet stream allows freezing air to drift lower and lower and lower. And we saw the big U-shaped jet stream as it hit Texas last week. In addition, we are looking as a country at more weather and climate-related events than we have ever before. Last year, while we were all consumed by COVID-19, while all of our eyes were fixated on trying to eradicate a disease, the U.S. experienced 22 weather events, which cost us more than $1 billion, and that is six more events than we had the previous year. We have been averaging between a dozen and 16 weather events per year. And last year alone, we had 22. This is not going to fix itself. And right. Texas is an, an example um, that should, should not just bring us pause, but should have us critically interrogating what capitalism and greed and an inability to put the lives of people first have done to this country. As such, people have died and people have frozen. And, and, and it is likely that the death rate is, is just beginning to become um, a reality. It's likely that we don't know the true cost of this disaster. Um, because we have people having to drink dirty water and water that isn't treated and doing what they can to save their family in whatever way they think is possible. Um, and so, you know, Dr. Robin, as we get into this conversation, there's so much to unpack. Yeah. There is, you know, there are the effects of global warming, which are not going to do us any favors because of how we've treated this planet. There is a water crisis that, you know, is not um, on the level of what we saw in Flint, but is still disastrous as it relates to a 254 county state. Right. There are people who can't get COVID vaccinations because of the weather in Texas. Right. Right. And there's a power grid, which just wholeheartedly illustrates what greed looks like and and how these and how these lawmakers allowed this to happen and are complicit in in the deaths of these humans um if, if we want to look if, if if the activist theology podcast wants to be a, a space of speaking to things that are happening in our society and to be an encourager of our listeners to get their hands dirty in the work. Texas this week is the, the thing we need to be talking about. Yeah, absolutely. And I spoke with my cousin who is a wind turbine engineer. Um, and, you know, I would say more conservative than I am. Um, in many different ways and also can can have a conversation about the the misuses of power on both sides and he had called several times but 
you know, like on Thursday I was teaching all day and then on Saturday I was on a conference. Um, and so I just had a chance to talk to him yesterday in the intervening moments before I gave a keynote talk for a medical school conference. And we just had a few short minutes to talk and he shared with me that um, lots of people, lawmakers, um, people in the sort of power industry are blaming wind turbines for for the issues right and um and i i i mentioned this because um there's a lot of blaming going on and a lot of scapegoating instead of practices of responsibility which which are, are accountability and responsibility which i think we see a lot in dominant culture that there is um, well-meaning intentions and often these intentions and behaviors of being well-being well-meaning actually accelerate harm right and and i just want to tease out a distinction between hurt and harm what happened in texas is just not hurtful it is harmful Hurt is something that is often unintentional. Um, it thing it can be repaired. Harm, however, is by design intentional. Right, and we can see that just from what you've what you've briefly shared that there was strategy that went into the ways in which the grid, for example, ha- the infrastructure of that is structured. Right, right. Um. That feels, because of the intention of the ways in which power structures are set up, like electricity structures are set up in Texas, it seems like then harm is inevitable when things like this happen, right? Um, and to go back to people blame, blaming the wind turbines for this problem, um. There are days where there is no sunshine or wind in Texas, and and there are different problems when that happens, right? And so, to sort of scapegoat and blame in in these ways are hugely unhelpful, and actually don't take into consideration the acceleration of harm from these structures. You know, I read about eleven year old boy who died due to hypothermia and yeah. and his family and I think um there are two wrongful death suits that have been filed against the state of Texas. You know, so you know it it's very complicated and then like on the other hand, not so complicated, right? Correct. Harm is actionable. Hurt is reactionable. Yeah. And Texas is anything but innocent in the ways that they're complicit in the harm. I, I'm so, I, I just, every time I hear of another um, death in, in Texas, I, 
I find myself just sick to my stomach. You know, an 88-year-old woman whose family found her outside in the snow, frozen to death. Um, that there just is no reason in 2021 for this kind of action to be to be taking place. There's no reason that we should still be having conversations around this. And yet, here we are. Um, we, you know, we find that we have these conversations after a multitude of natural disasters, um, you know, some of which we feel are more preventable than others. You know, you look at disasters like tornadoes or hurricanes, you know, yes, they are emblematic of a climate that is changing, but they are also, um, you know, wildly unpredictable in the ways that they affect the the neighborhoods that they pass over or that they they you know they drown out this this was less of that case yeah this is something that we knew was a problem that texas knew was an issue right very similar to the levees breaking right um, in 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 new orleans um and and lower louisiana after katrina you know there there was there were signs that pointed to this having this being a problem and there are government officials who looked the other way in exchange for new businesses coming to town in exchange for uh, you know, Texas being a, a, a place where businesses wanted to move mm -hmm. and it has cost lives. It, mm -hmm. it is, it's greed is an ugly, ugly disease mm -hmm. and, and Texas lawmakers are guilty of it. You know, it's interesting to me that you're, you mentioned the, the wind turbines. All of that blame is highly political, right? It's all intertwined with a largely conservative Texas legislative base that fears that um, the creation of energy sources that are not damaging to our uh, our our. Our, our world are, are going to replace the things that they think are necessary for their state to be able to hold their shit together. Right. And I, I you know, the minute that I heard a, a, a Texas lawmaker last week blame um, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez for the fact that Texas was in this situation because the Green New Deal you know, is what, uh, you know, brought wind turbines to Texas and how horrible it will be if the Green New Deal is something that gets enacted across across the, the land. I mean, it was comical to me. And yet, those are the talking points that right. continue to reinforce that people are following a, a partisan partisan talking points and not following science and not listening right. to experts. It, it screwed us over during COVID-19, not listening to science. It's, it's, it has continued to screw us over for the last 20 years, not li listening to science when it comes to climate change. Um, 
I mean, you know, Houston alone, when it comes to climate, they don't know if Houston's, um, if, if, if Houston is built to sustain the water intake that will likely come with continued lowering of temperatures and raising water uh, levels uh, mm-hmm. across the country. They don't know if Houston can withstand that. Right. Why, why are, why is Texas so stubborn um, in, 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 in looking at these issues in ways that really, that really make a difference? I, it, I mean, it just makes, makes my skin itch. It makes my Well, you know, Texas, Texas historically has had this sort of strident independent streak, right? They vote every four years or used to at least to whether or not they will secede the union. Oh, right. And so there, there is this sort of um, egocentric mania happening in their right. political body, right? And their, in their lawmaking body. Which in and of itself, can we talk about how, how ironic it is that a state that is stolen and, and not even, you know, land that should be part of the United States is thinking about like exiting from a country that has provided them, um, you know, cover for the theft that occurred. (laughs) I mean, it just, that's a whole different conversation, but. Isn't this the exact kind of dissociation that white bodied people do all the time, right? right? This sort of dissociating from, um, the 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 ways in which everything that you're talking about is racialized yes right yeah. and it's not just it's not just um economic racism right um which maybe some might call the racialization of capitalism but it's a whole bunch of other um ways in which race racialization significantly impacts those who are historically most marginalized and and it's it's how we it's how we get the data around disparities um so i think that you know we've never talked about the weather on this podcast and and maybe that's our fault for not spending more time around things like climate justice and whatnot um but you know when we talk about Texas and sort of in general, the weather, we also have to talk about, and this may be an unpopular stance to take, the the acceleration of the ways in which people are using solar panels to offset dependency and the ways in which the consumption of things like sun is also an impact. And so when I think about climate justice, while while you know I think solar panels in many respects have been you know helpful in many ways, it is um, it is part of a politics of consumption that we need to carefully consider when we are thinking about making generative interventions into this conversation around climate justice. Yeah. And I don't know any easy answer or any easy way to think about this, but we need to start having the conversations that center both scientific information 
and also our inherited sort of religious ideologies that are causing so much harm, right? We we have to figure out how to be in conversation. And and that's not to say that that um, people whose inherited religious ideologies that are actually causing harm, we should just condone. I'm not saying that, but we don't know how to be in conversation in this country or in this world. And it's, it's part of the problem why we're creating such devastating harm in our communities because of an inability to actually practice conversation. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad you, I'm glad you took our conversation in this direction. Um, there's, there's both, um, there's both an arrogance and there's a, a, a disassociation for a lot of people when it comes to how they are even passively um, to blame in, in a lot of this, this, the outcomes that we're seeing. I, I know that, you know, some of you may have seen on the news, this, this is an example, some of you may have seen on the news how there are, you know, because there are unregulated, um, because Texas's power system in in many instances is unregulated, it is, it fluct- the, the cost of power fluctuates with um, the consumption. Mm-hmm. In the same way that solar panels, um, and 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 the use of them and their and the way that they are i mean it, you know there's a certain there's a certain kind of person and a certain um kind of household that can afford solar panels and right. and to and to live off of that kind of of energy consumption there are also people in Texas right now who are getting five, six, $10,000 electric bills mm-hmm. based on the consumption that the power company felt that they used last week during this disaster. But let's, let's critically think about this because I, there, there, yes, there was, there is price gouging going on by the, the power companies in order to, you know, recoup the money's for an overuse on their system. That's inherently wrong. You know, there's no reason that natural gas should have gone up in price over the over the course of five days the way that it did. And yet the reason that these people are getting such high bills is because they had what I think is they felt they had the privilege to continue to turn their thermostats up higher and higher and higher, therefore taking energy possibilities away from others who did not have that ability. So you look at these big houses in Texas, um, even even normal suburban houses in Texas, where you know the the temperature might have gotten down to sixty and might have stayed at 60 because of the way the homes are insulated or the or the um you know the 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 ability to manage temperature on on a constant level and those humans thought little if any about others who would lose the capacity to have any heat at all when they turned their thermostat up 
to 80 so that their house would warm up to 66. this, This inability for us to recognize our role in caring for one another to not to not think in real time about how our actions and our what we feel is our right to things our right to warmth our right to um boil water mm-hmm. you know a large number of those people would say i i didn't know i didn't know that me continuing to turn my heat up to exorbitant temperatures in order to make my house a little warmer would take away from others whose only source of heat was what I was, you know, pulling from. And yet whose fault is that? It's our fault. It's our fault that we have not created a culture of care, a culture of knitting ourselves together with one another so that we understand how actions like that are are have boomerang effects on on others that that we may or may not even know it it's i, I mean i'm I, I feel i there you know i feel bad for these people that have gotten nine thousand dollar electric bills i also wish they had not been so quick to you know turn their heat, turn their their thermostats up so high that others around them literally died Mm -hmm. because they were trying to um, be a little less uncomfortable. Well, I I have lots of thoughts about this, as I'm sure you can imagine. Um, A couple things is in Texas and in lots of different places, um, these power companies use a variable rate to charge custom- their customers. Yes. And I got a little bit of information from my cousin, who is this turbine in- engineer, um, that um, if you don't belong to a co-op for mm-hmm. your power source, which has a fixed rate, then you are subject to these variable rates, right. which can accelerate this price gouging that you're that you're talking about. Right. You know, which is like just sick and is full of greed and lots of problems with that kind of framework. So, you know, I think they need to start all over and redo how they charge people. Right. Right. Because in Tennessee, we are all regulated. Right. You know, I mean, that was that was a conscientious choice that Texas made. And, and, um, you know, those of us in other states, whereas our bills may be a little higher each month, they will maintain that level of regulation um, in the face of any kind of disaster that we might face. And now I have lots of thoughts about regulation and how it's like a fold of supremacy culture, (laughs) right? Sure, of course. (laughs) And also, I don't want a $10,000 electricity bill, right? So they're... You know, on some level, like we compromise to participate in supremacy culture right. in, in many respects. Um, you know, the the level of hyper individuality that is present in this country, it causes our social practices to only think about ourselves. Right. And so, 
yes, we have not knit together a culture of care or a cultural body that is even attuned or attentive to anyone but themselves or ourselves. And this largely shows up in white bodies in many respects. Yes. And this culture of whiteness um, is so disconnected from like having a historical memory or having an understanding that things like stories, habits, and norms shape us. We, we don't realize how conscripted we are into these systems. You know, because we are so conscripted into these hegemonic systems and also compromised by that conscription, our vision is skewed. And we don't have the the right kind of vision. And by that, I mean, we cannot see clearly to be able to discern that we should not put our thermostat at 80 degrees because doing that will actually impact the entire community, right? And so I think that, um, you know, the systems that we are all in, that the water in which we all swim, we need to start having these conversations, which is like a big part of why we started this podcast over a year ago to actually externalize an analysis and the stories that inform that analysis to try to make some sort of intervention in culture. Right. There's, we've, we have missed so many opportunities um, over the last I mean, really 500 years. The, the opportunities to learn from the black and brown body culture and community that could have taught us so much, um, that could have illustrated so well for us how we are to be with one another. Mm-hmm. Um, we ignored those teachings Um I think mainly because we did not find any value in them and, and, and we, and we did not see anything that was related to something other than a a white body analysis as being worth, worth um, adopting and, and, you know, and, and following and, and understanding and living into. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's tragic in many ways. It is. It's 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 tragic. Um, it's. Uh, I mean, for me personally, I, I feel very embarrassed. Hmm. Um, and and yet, um, you know, I I also you know recognize that I I will be this white bodied um, person until my last breath. And I will never rid myself of that, but I can work every day to be anti-racist, to be Mm -hmm. anti-supremacist, to be anti-capitalist, to be those things that will uh, 
adopt the kind of, of community of care that, that, that we so um, desperately need. I hope that Texas um, is an, is, is a learning moment for us. And I, I, it's such a common and flippant way to, you know, to, to say that, that we should learn our lessons and that we should watch what has happened. Um, but, but when we see things like this, we have to understand that if we don't, if, if we, if we use this time, as you have reminded us to place blame, to point fingers, which, which everyone in Texas knows is what's going to happen over the next three weeks. I mean, right. their legislature is going to be full of, well, it wasn't our fault. It was their fault. And therefore, we, we don't need to change our policy and plans. Everyone else needs to change theirs. Well, my cousin, who tends to vote in the Republican bloc, you know, confessed to me on the phone, now the right has lost their mind. Yeah. And, and, and now, because things are so politically divided around partisanship, the, you know, there's – there's no solution to this problem because of the ways in which we are polarized. Right. Right. And so, you know, here I, I, you know, I have my cousin on the phone who, um, and we talk a lot about politics and, you know, he, his sort of response is, well, I don't like the socialism, right. That's the big buzzword that, mm-hmm. right. that Democrats get dinged for. And, um, and and now he is saying the right has lost their mind. Well, I mean, I think the right lost their mind a long time ago, right? But but now there's this sort of internal confusion within political communities that you know have historically been sort of quote unquote conservative. If that is our reality, and I know the same is true for people who are Democrats, sure. How do we actually steward conversation when there is so much existential turmoil and emotional, um, like, despair? I mean, people can't trust the system. Correct. Regardless of what color, I use that in quotation marks, what color the system identifies as. Right. Blue, red, purple, whatever. Right. Yes. Um, and, and so, and, and I would say not just do we need to steward a, a, an ethic of trust, we also need to force a reckoning you know, you, you use the word, there's a, you know, there's a confusion around, um, you know, the, the, the system and the power and how, and how it got us to this point. There needs to be a reckoning of those systems in a way that either tears them down and starts them over with the kind of care and intentionality that, 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 attributes, um, you know, goodness for all, or um, 
we need, we as the people need to be prepared to find alternative tactics in order to, in order to care for one another, knowing that the system is never going to help us. And I think that that's where we've often found ourselves. We've found ourselves in the latter category. We've, we've found that we, that the system, we can't, we can't influence a, a, a change in the system, a change in the dynamic of power. And so we have used mutual aid. We have used our, our ability to care for one another as, as the answer. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, sure. There were a ton of churches and a ton of municipal centers and a ton of places that opened as, as, you know, shelters for people who, who didn't have heat. Um, and, and while those things are, are good and are, and are necessary, that does not illustrate the way that, um, that that doesn't even come close to illustrating the kind of care that you and I are talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's, it's a difficult question. Um, you know, Texas will, when this is, when this conversation starts to move off of the news, Texas will have uh, opened the eyes of a lot of people. I remain concerned whether anyone will act in a way that holds power structures and systems accountable versus continuing to survive around a, 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 a pointing finger and blame mechanism that, that just allows people to get a, that allows corporations and, and legislators to get away with, um, once again, turning a blind eye because this, it will not take another 10 years before this happens in Texas again. Right. Well, and let me just say this, and it's something that I mentioned yesterday in this keynote that I gave to this medical school conference. Um, part of the reason why I remain a theologian, and by that I mean all theology is ethics. Yes. Part of the reason why I remain a theologian is that we forget, I think, in this, in this increasingly "quote unquote" secular society, that religion has been engineered into the the cellular structure of systems and societies, and you know, there's a lot of move to like reinvent traditional seminary and divinity school education for a secular society. But I, I want to caution people um, to, like to know that what we are encountering in this country is, is a deeply um, uh, moral and ethical crisis. And if we don't actually connect the dots around the acceleration of these moral crises and ethical crises that have particular theological theories and thoughts engineered into the crisis i we won't we won't survive ourselves and so i know there are lots of tactics and people trying to um, like reinvent education for a secular society. 
not only do I find it depoliticized, it also doesn't address the ways in which we have inherited a, a theological ideology that it informs every fucking system in the society and globally for that matter. And the exportation of things like homophobia and transphobia and queerphobia into the continent of Africa is now um, a kind of theological orientation that is engineered into those systems. Now, it, um, that is about imperialism and settler colonialism, etc. And that has a particular theological orientation to it. And so, you know, why I continue to do theology and ethics and why I continue to have these conversations is because white-bodied people don't have um, – they neither have an embodied awareness of this nor do they have a complex understanding through like the mechanism of a historical memory to actually understand what they've inherited. Now, I'm not trying to like be um, – patronizing in any respect i just want to be like super direct and honest that there is a reason why we are stewarding this work in this way because i'm afraid if we don't help people connect the dots around this deeply moral and ethical crisis that is informed by a particular theological imagination we will not be able to create this culture of care yes or this body politic that practices liberation on a collective scale. Friends, we leave you with a lot to think about today. Um, we um, stand in solidarity with our kin in Texas, and we continue to be mindful of um, the devastation and the challenges that they're up against. And, we hope that if you have people there that you know and love, that you have reached out to them and that you're um, seeing if there's anything you can do to help. Um, we will be back next week. We continue to remind you that we'd love to be in conversation with you. You can reach out to us at Activist Theology on all of the social media platforms or activisttheology.com. You can reach us on the website. We'd love to hear your thoughts. We'd love to hear your um, your feedback on uh, this episode and others. And we'll continue to get our hands dirty in the work if, uh, if you will do so as well. Until next week, Dr. Robin. We got to get free. Are you looking to connect the dots between what you think and how you live? Are you looking for a more robust way to be in solidarity with the movement? Are you looking to get your hands dirty with the work of social justice? Join Dr. Robin and Reverend Anna Galladay each week as they share, reflect, and analyze on pressing social concerns. Want to help support this podcast? Go to activisttheology.kindful.com and click on podcast. And remember, Activist and theology share a tea. The music you hear in this episode is Hands Dirty by our friends Delta Ray. Our sound editor and engineer is Dan Medley from 10 South Sounds. So